John chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning in our text. John chapter 3, continuing in our series in the book of John, uh, the Gospel of John. And we're reading from the words of John the Beloved or John the Apostle. Some call him John the Evangelist. But this morning we are talking about a different John and that is John the Baptist. And so just to clarify the difference between the two, John the Apostle um, was, was the man who wrote this book through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then John the Baptist is the man who will be the subject of our message this morning. If you have found John 3, go ahead and stand out of respect for God's word. And we'll begin our reading in verse 22. John chapter 3, verse 22, we just have gone through this long passage, the, uh, the longest passage to this point in red, in our, at least in my Bible, um, of Jesus Christ giving this treatise, if you will, uh, on salvation and being born again and what it takes uh, to be born again, which is simply belief and placing your trust in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we've just come through that section. And then we go back to, the, to John the Baptist. This is um, a sub, the, the man who was the subject of a lot of our preaching at the beginning of this book. And we're going to go back to him um, maybe just a couple more times in the entire book of John. But this is a big one. John chapter 3 verse 22 says this. And after, or sorry, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. Now, one thing that to make clear, if you read down in John chapter 4, verse 2, it says, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. So just to clarify that Jesus was, had a ministry of preaching and teaching and baptizing, but it appears that his apostles were the ones doing the baptizing. It says, verse 23, and John also was baptizing. We know John was in Anon near to Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. So Jesus' ministry is on the Jordan River in one location. He's preaching, teaching. His disciples are baptizing. John the Baptist's ministry is also along somewhere on the Jordan River, obviously not right next to each other, but they're both doing the same kind of work, just in different places. Verse 24, for John was not yet cast into prison, um, that's something that John's readers would have known was going to happen. Um, and so he's just referring to the fact that many of them might have already read Mark's letter. Uh, and they, and in Mark's letter, it appeared, they already knew that John the Baptist was going to end up in prison. So this is John's way of clarifying just a timeline here. Verse 25, it says, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John... And said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except he be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear, witness, bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. In this key verse here, he must increase, but I must decrease. 
Verse 31, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth. And no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Today the title of the message is simply this, Less is More. Less is More. We'll see from the words of John how in our lives, when it comes to less is more, less of me means more of Jesus. And that's the way it ought to be. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your truth this morning. I pray that you'd help me to convey it. And I pray that you'd open our hearts. Lord, keep us distraction-free so that we can focus on your word. We don't know what someone, what some burden somebody's carrying this morning. We don't know what needs someone has. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would consider that we don't want to distract from your, what your purpose, what might be in this room this morning. We ask for your help. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Speak to us through the Holy Spirit in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I, I've noticed recently, maybe you have too, it's just it dawned on me more and more recently, uh, the growth taking place in Sioux Falls. Maybe you've seen that everywhere you look. There are buildings being built uh, there are apartments going up, there are townhomes going in, there are single-family homes going in. I, I was driving in through our neighborhood just recently and, and just once again paying attention to how much growth has taken place here. And I wasn't here in the very beginning when this building was built in a cornfield, basically, out here. And, uh, and then the neighborhood has kind of come around it and they're about to put a large uh, Sanford complex to the south of us with retirement homes and a, and a, a medical complex and I mean a Lewis drug and all these things I'm going in all around us and and uh, really probably the star of the show is quick star right up here grand slam brother Samuel and I it's, it's changed our lives I think uh, literally and you know just driving down though grand slam a few weeks ago coming into this neighborhood and I, I've always, you know, this, this large, it's a large storage facility up here. It's huge. It's a, one of those drive-in, you know, it's climate controlled. You drive your car into the building and, and uh, you know, whatever your, whatever your stuff is being stored, you know, whatever you have stored there, you can go get it in the dry weather and it's cooled and in the summer. And, and I was thinking, you know, that's a large facility. And, and then um, about a year ago, I noticed these signs pop up on the corner and it says U-Haul storage facility coming in. So not only do we have a large storage facility right up here, right next to it is another storage facility going in. And while I'm driving, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, there's a house with a, a garage, which they have their own storage. There's a house with a garage. They have their own storage. Uh, all these houses are built with storage in mind. And I know the apartments and those things may not have as much, but the townhomes have some storage. And yet we're building another storage facility right next to the one that we already have. And it started me thinking this mentality, you know, that we might have too much stuff. 
I, I don't know about you, but I feel that. I mean, it feels like there's just, we have so much stuff. Um, these new homes with their own storage, and yet we need two huge storage facilities in our neighborhood. We have too much. I, I mean, I knew that I was guilty of the same thing. When we were trying to move up here from Oklahoma, we filled a 26-foot truck with a grandma's attic, if you know what I'm talking about, those Hugh Halls, and has this little extra space up there, and, and, and we filled it to the brim. I mean, it was just coming out. We opened the door, and things were falling out, and, and I was just like, we have too much stuff. So I'm not just pointing fingers. I'm saying I'm part of the problem, too. Our culture says more is more. Our culture says the more you have, the better you are, the more money you have, the better retirement you have, the more stuff you have, the bigger house you have. More is more. And the more you have, the happier you'll be. So it's been refreshing the last few years with this trend that's pushing minimalism. And I don't know, maybe you've heard of, of some of this. There's this, this idea, the focus on Get rid of all the extra stuff so you can focus on the essentials. Get rid of all the peripherals so you can focus on the few things that really matter the most. And, and this, this lady, Marie Kondo, has become famous. And her, she's this um, organizer, professional organizer. I don't know. I didn't know there was one of those, but she is one of those. And, and her entire mantra is to declutter so you can enjoy your space. Her mantra really is, less is more. Meaning the less that you have, the more that you can enjoy the things that matter most. Now, I don't think that decluttering is the ultimate key to happiness. Um, some of the happiest people I know are some of the messiest people I know. I mean, my children are very happy. Some of the tidiest people I know, some of the neatest and ordered, orderliest people, if that's a word, um, some of the most ordered people I know are unhappy. Uh, you know, but I do think there is validity to the idea that less is more. And the reason I think there's validity to it is because it's a point that John actually makes here in our text today. And he wasn't talking about decluttering, and he wasn't talking about getting rid of stuff and clearing up space. He was talking about less self and more Jesus. Less of me, so there can be more of him. And if you think about it, if anyone could have been filled with pride about who he was, it was John the Baptist. I mean, he's the cousin of Jesus Christ. Uh, as a baby, he was filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb and leapt, filled with the Spirit. He's a man who was prophesied about hundreds of years before he was ever born in the Old Testament. The Old Testament actually talked about John the Baptist and said there will be a voice in the wilderness crying, prepare you the way of the Lord. His job, he was the one chosen to point people to Jesus Christ. He was selected to prepare the way even Jesus himself in Matthew 11 declared that there's no one on earth no man greater than John the Baptist John's spiritual trophy case would have been full he was he was the man when he came on the scene his ministry began with a bang. He came preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins. People were being baptized, which was a new concept for the Jews. Uh, he, they came and, and, you know, Jesus, here he is, perfect and, and no sin at all. And yet even he walked uh, 70 miles or so to be baptized by John the Baptist in order to fulfill all righteousness and give us an example of submission. I mean, who else can say, Jesus came to me to be baptized? 
Here's a man that could have been full of pride. He could have been full of himself. He had lots of things to look to. He had many disciples. He was well known in that region. But his ministry was changing here. Because people that once flocked to John the Baptist are now flocking to Jesus Christ. And by the time we get to the end of this chapter, John's ministry has begun to do this. And Jesus' ministry has begun to do this. John's ministry is diminishing. Jesus' ministry is, is rising. It's raising up. It's getting more and more infect, effective and impactful. And really, that's the way it ought to be, right? I mean, John himself declared that Jesus is the, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John himself had declared that he is the Son of God. But, but I don't know that that always makes it easy. I mean, according to verse 22, um, the ministry of Jesus Christ is exploding. You know, um, in verse 20, 23, uh, verse 25, it says, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, be, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. So they come to him and they're saying, the ministry down the, down the river is exploding. People are flocking to Jesus. He's teaching. People are getting baptized. Um, and verse 23 tells us that John and his disciples were essentially doing the same thing. They're just up the river. They're doing the same thing. But their ministry is going down and Jesus' ministry is going up. They're doing the same work. They're both teaching. They're, people are repenting of their sins. People are getting baptized. People are making spiritual decisions. Both John and Jesus have a following. Both of them have influence. But as we read, it becomes clear. One ministry is doing this. And one ministry is doing this. So in, in the middle of all this, people come to John with questions. And one of the questions they come to him about, they come asking his disciples about purification. Now, we don't know the exact nature of the question, but it was likely that this was a question about baptism. Because people are watching John, and he's baptizing in the Jordan River, and he's, he's immersing people in the water. And they're wondering about purification, which purification would then point to what was happening back at the temple. Purification at that time would be that when you went to the temple to take your sacrifice to the temple, there would be some, some rituals of purification that you would have to go through in order to enter the temple, the temple and to bring your sacrifice to God. But, but it was more like sprinkling and, and, and washing a, a little bit or, or parts of the body. It wasn't a full immersion. They weren't, you know, dunking people in water. And, and part of that then, just so that we understand, um, in the temple and before Jesus Christ, in the temple they, they had to come all the time and, and bring sacrifices every year. And the, the purification process was temporary. It wasn't complete meaning they would wash part of their body, then bring their sacrifice. But that was a picture of the fact that complete forgiveness was not yet found. They would have to come back year after year with a sacrifice. Well, now Jesus has come on the scene, and Jesus is about to sacrifice himself with complete forgiveness. He still forgives. And with complete redemption. And so now the picture is, goes from in the temple washing part of my body in purification to being dunked all the way under the water in immersion. By the way, they're both just pictures. 
meaning the temple rituals didn't cleanse a person of their sin. It was a picture of the cleansing process. And in the same way, baptism is not a cleansing of sin. It's a picture of the forgiveness process. It is simply pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross so that we could be 100% cleaned and forgiven of our sins. The water doesn't have any magical powers. It is simply letting people know what's happened to me on the inside. I've been cleaned. We'll have a baptism this morning. And, and little Gemma, this is going to get baptized. And she's excited and I'm excited. I just hope she doesn't do a cannonball into the baptistries. That's how excited she seems. You know, if she did, I would be okay with that. Don't tell her that. But you know, Gemma's already been cleaned. Her forgiveness has already taken place. But this baptism is letting you and I know what happened to her on the inside. And it's identifying her with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't have magic power, but it does give us an insight into what Jesus Christ can do for us. And see, now that Jesus has come, things are changing. He provides complete forgiveness. And so you can imagine then that John would have questions come to him. Well, what about the temple purification? You're baptizing in a river and they're asking us to still cleanse ourselves in the temple. Like what's going on? There's questions about practices. They're coming and they're like, John, your practices are different than what's going on in the temple. Explain this to us. They come saying, who's right? And while John's dealing with those questions, and really it says his disciples were the ones dealing with those questions, his disciples then come to him with another question. Look at verse 26. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, that's Jesus, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. They come and they say, Teacher, Rabbi, John, the man that you baptized, the same one, Jesus, who you declared to be the Son of God, we know you gave, you bear witness to him. He's down the river. And we just came from there. And we might have a modest crowd of 50 or 100, but he's got a crowd of 800. And I'm telling you, John, things are really happening down there. And, and they come and, they, and they're saying his ministry is exploding. So on one hand, John's fielding these questions about practices. Temple ritual, purification, baptism, what's going on? And then another concern comes to him from his disciples. But this concern is about popularity. See, his practices are being questioned. His popularity is also diminishing. While Jesus is going up, John is going down. He gets this question, okay, well then who has the right practices, John? I mean, you were the temple. And then he comes another question, who's really more popular, John? You were Jesus. Who's right? Who's more popular? John, we really need to talk about these things. John, we really need to talk about purification. A lot of people have questions about it because what you're doing isn't really fitting the mold. John, we need to talk about popularity because, yeah, something you're doing is diminishing your likability factor. I mean, you've, you're losing followers on Twitter. I'm pretty sure that's what they said. No, John, I think your practices need to be adjusted because your popularity needs to be worked on. And we need to talk about these things. Do you feel the pressure maybe that John was feeling? Yeah, I mean, somebody's questioning his practices, somebody's questioning his likability, his popularity, and John could have taken this personally. 
He could have been upset. Remember, he's the first cousin of Jesus. He could have been like, I'm Jesus' cousin. I baptized Jesus. I was filled with the Spirit as a baby in my mother's womb. They talked about me in the Old Testament. Uh, that I, uh, Jesus said, I'm the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, what is going on here? You know, few things are going to get us more defensive than when our practices are questioned or our popularity is, starts to diminish. And we like to think, well, we're, I'm doing things the right way. We don't like it when we realize not everyone likes us. Well, that's a sobering moment, isn't it? Well, no, John's disciples then come and when they say, hey, all men are going to him. Seems like maybe they're not helping the situation. I, it's obviously it's an exaggeration because the Bible says that John was baptizing and, and things were still happening with him, but his ministry's not growing at the rate that Jesus's is. So it makes me think maybe there's some resentment here. And maybe those disciples that come and say, you won't believe how many people are showing up to Jesus. And they're like, yeah, we saw Andrew. He used to be with us. We saw John over there. He was with us. You know, Peter and those guys, you know, the guys that used to be with us, now they're over there with Jesus, and the ministry's exploding. I mean, don't you just get a little bit of the resentment maybe here? I mean, I can't project or what's happening, but it seems like it to me. At the very least, they're trying to figure out what's going on, what's wrong with this. There's probably, though, some jealousy. They're thinking about their friends. They're thinking about the fact that their ministry isn't growing like theirs. And, and what catches my attention in all of this is not the attitude of the people asking about John's practices. And it's not the attitude of the people questioning why John's popularity isn't what it needs to be. My, my attention is drawn every time to the response of John the Baptist. Because he could have been wounded. He could have been full of pride. But he wasn't. Look at his response. Look at verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. See, here's what John is saying. You ready? He's saying if someone is blessed, that's God's business. If someone has good things going for them, I have my job and I'm just going to keep doing my job. How God deals with somebody else, it's not my responsibility, nor should it provoke me to jealousy. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. See, listen, this is good for us. It's easy to get envious of those who seem to be blessed. When someone else gets a promotion at work and you feel like maybe you deserve it, it's hard not to be upset. Uh, when someone else gets a new vehicle and you really need one and, and they get one, it's like, how did they get one? You know, I need one as well. When, when others get to go on a great vacation or somebody gets picked at your workplace to go on the business trip you wanted to go to, when God's hand seems to be blessing someone else more than it's blessing you, listen, we have a tendency to get upset. We have a tendency to, and I know this seems petty this morning. I'm just talking to the human condition, okay? Let's just be honest. We're, we're, we're not putting on any airs this morning. We're not putting on a show this morning. We're all human beings. We all have a sin of nature. We all have these tendencies. When things go well for somebody else and they're not going well for me, I tend to not have a good attitude about it. But here's John who had every right to be full of pride if he wanted and he's not upset. 
And he says, no, I have one job. My job is to point people to Jesus. He says, and it doesn't really matter to me if I'm being left behind, because if I'm being left behind and Jesus is lifted up, that's okay with me. He says, I have one job, point people to Jesus. I was sent before him not to overshadow him, but to point people to him. And it's only right that they're going to Jesus and they're not hanging out over here with us. And he gives this illustration to drive his point home in verse 28. He says, ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. And in verse 29, he says, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth, great, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. So he talks about the marriage relationship. And you know what he says? He says, listen, let me give you some perspective. He says, the bride is the groom's wife. And, and the bride belongs to somebody else. And yes, I can be happy for the bride. Let's say, you know, I'm the, I'm the best man. We've got a wedding coming up here in a few weeks, Colin and Crystal, and we're talking about who's the best man and who's the matron of honor. And, and, and it's exciting. You know, but one thing is certain is that the, the bride and the groom, they belong together. The best man, it's not his bride. So the best man, his job is just to be happy for the groom. His job is not to kind of butt in and, and take over the relationship and assume that it's his right to the bride. No, there is one that has the right to the bride, and that is the groom. And what John is saying is this, from the time of the Old Testament, Jehovah has always been pictured as the groom. In the Old Testament, the, the children of Israel, the Jews, they were the bride. When they rejected Christ, he set them aside for a time. And now during this church age, then those that are saved, we are now the bride and Jesus Christ is the groom. So John says this, the relationship is Jesus' relationship. It is not about me, it is about him. And what John is saying is, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to, I have to be okay with people going to Jesus. I'm not worried about someone else's practices. I'm not worried about being popular. I have one job. I am a pointer. I, my job is to point people to Jesus. And you know, I've been able to go pheasant hunting with men in the church. And when we take a dog, it's a lot of fun. There's, I'm telling you, that those, those dogs that are trained to point out the birds, they are happiest when they're just doing their job. They don't get to pull the trigger, which really, that's the fun part. But they are okay with it. Because they've been trained to know I have one job. My job is to point. And folks, we have one job, and our job is to point to Jesus Christ. Amen. Everything about your life should be to point to Jesus Christ. We're not the groom. He's the groom. His job is to have a relationship with the bride. We have to be okay with it as, as somebody else grows closer to Jesus and draws closer to Jesus Christ. Listen, we have to just sit back and be content and happy that someone else is being blessed. 
Our joy is not dependent on being in the middle of the center of attention. Our joy is not dependent on being popular. Our joy is not dependent on having everyone like us and have everyone accept our practices. Our joy is not dependent on being blessed. Our joy depends on Jesus Christ being lifted up in our lives. My joy depends on my job and my job and your job is to point to Jesus Christ. You don't have to be the most talented to have joy. You don't have to be the most blessed to have joy. You don't have to be in a certain position to have joy. No, if you will simply live to point people to Jesus, you can have a relationship filled with and overflowing with the joy of Jesus Christ. Amen. See, then John makes one of the most profound statements of humility in all of the scripture. He says this in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. You know what he's saying? Like, it's not just a general statement. He's literally talking about there's a transition going on from my ministry to Jesus Christ. He's saying, if Christ is going to be more, I have to be less. If Christ is going to be the center of attention like he deserves to be, then I have to take a back seat. See, John knew that his ministry had to give way to Jesus. I mean, John, let's be honest, in our vernacular, John was the man. He was the man. I mean, you don't, he was rocking camel skins, eating locusts and honey, setting all kinds of trends on social media. The locust and honey challenge. No, John was the man. But he came to terms with this fact. It's not about me. And if Jesus is going to have the ministry that he's supposed to have, then I have to be okay with being less so he can be more. Amen. See, the less of me, the more of Jesus. Amen. And it's true for all of us. Friend, the less of Jason Jett, the more of Jesus Christ. The less of Chad Viss, the more of Jesus Christ. The less of Jeremy Jacob, the more of Jesus Christ. The less of Juan Vargas, the more of Jesus Christ. And I go around the room, I just point to people. The less of you, the more of Jesus. Meaning there's only room for one in that prime position. And if Jesus Christ is going to receive the glory in my life that he deserves, then I have to stop making it about me. And I have to point people to him. See, I can't make it about me because if I make it about me, then, that, then he's, he's not the one it's about. There can only be one in the highest place in my life. There can only be one in the highest position. And, and I'm just going to try to illustrate this this morning and, and try to do this in an efficient manner. But I, I was thinking about a seesaw, you know, and you know what I mean by a seesaw, right? Is that the old, the old way of saying it? How... You know, seesaws, they were always great fun in the playground. And you always knew, though, there was big trouble if two um, variant sizes people were trying to get on the seesaw at the same time. Like, this is not going to end well. You know, because really there's only room for one to be at the bottom and there's only room for one to be at the top. And, and the idea that John is saying is this is that if, if Jesus is going to rise to the place he needs to rise to, then I have to lower myself to the place that I need to be in. You see, if, if, I, if my life is like this, 
then there's only one position of primacy. There's only one position of superiority, and that's me. And if I put myself in the position of being first place, in the position of being the highest position, then Jesus is lowered. Jesus is diminished. And this is the wrong approach to life right here. And, there, and yet this is how most of us live our lives. And we live in that it's all kind of about me and what I want in every situation, in every conversation, in, in every, at work, it's kind of all about me. In, in my marriage, it's kind of all about me. I make sure that I get my way. But listen, the longer that we make it about us, the less it is about Jesus. And here's the idea of less is more. If I want Jesus to be more in my life, then I have to make it less about me so it can be more about Jesus. Because when it comes to my walk with God and my life for God, less really is more. And I just want you to have that mentality or that, that visual in your mind. Just think about the conversations that you have. In your conversations, when you're talking to people, is it about Jesus and you making sure Jesus can be seen? Or is it about you and making sure that you are heard and you are seen? In your decisions, is it about you being heard and you being seen? Or is it about Jesus Christ being seen in your life? In your workplace, do people know that you are a follower of Jesus? Or are they just aware of who you are? In your relationship with your spouse, husbands and wife, is it about all about me and what I want and what I get? Or is it really about Jesus Christ? Because the truth is, we're seeing it played out right here before our eyes. There can only be room for one at the top. And if I want more of Jesus in my life, then I have to be less about me so Jesus can be visible in every situation I have, in every conversation that I have, in every dialogue I have with a coworker about Jesus Christ. Listen, in every situation of life, in my parenting, do I make it about me or do I make it about Jesus? In my service here at church, do I make it about me or do I make it about Jesus? Because if we make it about us, then guess who it's not about? It's not about Jesus if it's about you. The only way that I can make my life about Jesus is to make less of me so there can be more of him. John gives us some really good insight. I'm going to go through these quickly. Here's why you need this less is more life. Because he's the one that came from heaven, not me. And he says in verses 27, Jesus answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Verse 31, he says, He that cometh from above is above all, and, and he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. You know, John is making it very clear. Listen, the reason I need to be less about me and more about Jesus is because Jesus came from heaven, and I was just born here on earth. Meaning I don't have the same kind of power. I don't have the same kind of knowledge. I'm not God. Jesus is. And friend, there's only one God and you're not him. The reason you need a less is more life is because Jesus came from heaven, not you. Another reason you need a less is more life is because Jesus is the one without limitations, not you. 
And John says, I'm earthly. He's from heaven. Look at verse 32. And when he, what he had seen, what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. So there were many Jews rejecting the testimony of Jesus Christ. But verse 33 says, he that hath received this testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. The ones that received Jesus knew that it was real. They knew that it was true. Look down at verse 34. It says, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. And what he's saying is that Jesus has no boundaries. Jesus has no limitations. In other words, God didn't have to carefully measure how much of the Holy Spirit Jesus had because Jesus is infinite. There's no limitation when it comes to Jesus. And so here's what we do. We make life about us when the infinite Jesus Christ, who has no limitations and has the answers to all of our problems, he's diminished and we raise ourselves up. But let me help you understand this. If you're depending on yourself in life, then the only question or the only answers you'll ever get is what you have the answers to. All you'll get is what you can provide. But if we make life less about us and more about Jesus, we get all he can provide. Which, guess what, is unlimited. So why would I make my life about me when I have a, a, a savior who is unlimited? We need the less is more life because he's the one from heaven. We need the less is more is more life because he's unlimited. And we need the less is more life because he's the one that can transform lives, not us. It says in verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son hath not, hath not seen, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Think about this. There's only one who could save you. There's only one. His name is Jesus. And so, if I know that, then why, when I have an issue come, out, come in my life, do I diminish what he contributes and try to answer it in my own strength? I can't save myself. So why would I think that I have the answers to any of my own life's problems? Listen, if Jesus Christ can save your soul, and by the way, he can this morning if you're not saved. If Jesus Christ can save your soul, you know what? He can heal your body. If Jesus Christ can save your soul, then he can repair your broken heart. If Jesus Christ can save your soul, he can mend that relationship that has you, that, that has you so broken. If Jesus Christ can save us, there's nothing he can't do. So why then do we live life making it all about us? When we have a savior who came from heaven, who is unlimited, and he can save our souls. You know, there needs to be less of me when I'm raising my children. If I try to make it all about me, I will not produce what my children need to be. And yet, very often in my child rearing, you know what I'm doing? Making it all about me. What I want, my methods, my desires, and Jesus is not seen in me in my children, to my children. In my marriage, I need to be about Jesus and not me, but what I often do is make it all about me and Jesus is not seen to my wife. 
in my workplace. What I need to do is make it about Jesus and let them see Jesus in me. But then I make it all about me and I try to hide who I am. And Jesus is not seen and I miss an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives because of it. Listen, in any situation you can imagine, your best option to be fulfilled and full of joy and make the biggest difference is to make life less about you and more about Jesus Christ. And you say, well, this is really hard. I mean, why do I have to be the one that sacrifices? Why do I have to be the one who it costs everything? But I just want to remind you that the Bible says that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Why? So that he could save us. Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why? So we could be saved. So here's the thing. You know what? We say, I just don't think that I can live this way. I don't think that I can make it all about Jesus and not about me. This is really hard. But let me just remind you that you have a Savior who when he came to this earth, guess what he did? He humbled himself. He made it less about who he was and less about his desires. Why? So that I could have more. He said, I will humble myself so that I can provide salvation to the souls of many. He made it not about him. He made it about us. And listen, if he was willing to say less of me so that I could provide salvation to more, then how is it that I have a tough time then saying, okay, if he would do that for me, then I could be less about me so it could be more about Jesus. He's already done it for us. He led the way in saying less is more. Because the less of Jesus, when he came and humbled himself, the more people could be saved. So here's, here's all that we get. What, what more did he provide? Well, salvation, but also joy. That bridegroom, remember the groom and the bride? The, the joy that we have when we're living for Jesus, you can't buy it anywhere else. The fulfillment we have, that's what we get. Uh, the, the, the peace that we have, that's what we get. Not only that, when we make life about Jesus, it's not about us, then people can see Jesus in us, and guess what? Then the lost are drawn to him, not us. So we're also making it possible for more people to be saved. See, the truth is, when Jesus came, and not, he didn't make it all about him, he made it about his Father and about us, we get infinite benefits from that decision. And all he asks from us is to say, okay, so now it's your job to make it less about you and more about me. I'm telling you, there's not ever been a more reasonable requirement than for us to say, it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ because it's already done for us. Uh, he already did for us what we could never do for ourselves by humbling himself. So here's, here's the idea today. We have to become less so Christ can become more. Less really is more. And I'm just asking in your life, who is being seen? Is it you or Jesus? See, Jesus can provide so much. Let me speak to those that might not be saved this morning. You say, I just, I just don't know. I, I don't have peace. I don't have contentment. I'm not fulfilled. I'm searching for something. 
Well, you may not know it, but what you're searching for is Jesus Christ. And our job this morning as a church has been to lift up Jesus Christ. And if you've seen that, and you say, well, there's something there that I want, do you know that you can have a relationship with him today? If you would, like the lady saying about, humble yourself and ask for forgiveness of sin, he'll give you eternal life today. And then you get all the other benefits we talked about. Fulfillment, peace, joy, eternal life. Boy, I'm telling you, it is worth it. But what you're going to have to do is humble yourself and look to Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Christian, who's being seen in your life? Does this more uh, illustrate what your life is about? How about in your marriage? At home, dads, is this really this what it's like? In your workplace, is this what it looks like? Uh, in, in, in all your relationships and in your interactions with people while you're driving down the road when you meet a stranger, is this what it looks like? Because if this is what it looks like, then your one job to point to Jesus Christ is not being done. And here's what we need to do. We need to make a switch. Make it less about us so it can be more about Jesus. Would you be willing to humble yourself before him and say, I want a less is more life? Because that's the only life worth living. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning, we do need to be confronted with the idea that if I am being lifted up, Jesus can't be at the same time. And I must lower myself if I want Jesus to be seen. Is that how your life looks? When people look at you, do they see Jesus or do they see you? Because if you're full of pride and you're trying to do your own thing, people aren't seeing Jesus Christ. Friend, today, if you don't know that you're saved, let me just encourage you. All we're asking is that you just step forward. We have people from God's word that can show you how you can know you're on your way to heaven. That can happen for you this morning. It's time to be seen less of us so that Jesus can be more visible. Father, we need your help today. And I'm praying that you would work in lives today. And I know this is more for the Christian, but Lord, I, I pray for those that may be lost this morning, that you'd help them to understand that they have to lower themselves and, and lift up Jesus Christ if they want salvation. I know it's hard to be humble. And yet, if you'll help them to find Jesus Christ, they'll find out that's the most satisfying relationship they've ever had in their whole lives. God, help us today to make it more, less about us and more about you. The less of me, the more of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.